back. As mentioned on last week's program, we're going to talk a little bit about the passing of Studs Terkel. Studs died earlier this month at age 96, leaving behind a great body of work. Among them, a radio show we did at WFMT in Chicago for over 45 years, involving 9,000 programs, and 18 books. Among them, Working in 1974, which laid bare the drudgery and stress of how its 133 subjects made a living. Turkle won the Pulitzer Prize for his 1984 book, The Good War, which discussed racism on the home front and officers killed by their own troops and other neglected aspects of World War II. Turkle was a bit of a man on a mission. He meant to, to record and fix memories before they faded. Turkle was always a staunch ally of the underdog. He ended each of his shows with a line from an old Union song, Take it easy, but take it. And had a ready explanation for his interest in ordinary people. Who built the pyramids, he would ask? It wasn't the goddamn pharaohs. It was the anonymous slaves. He was born Louis Turkle, but took the name Studs as a tribute to the fictional Studs Lonigan, a rough-and-ready uh, character created by novelist James Farrell. Turkle had a pioneering television show from 1949 to 1952, Studs Place. Got canceled. Turkle was always convinced it was because he was blacklisted by Senator Joseph McCarthy for his liberal leanings. A few years back, when he was described as a short, puckish, pot-bellied 91-year-old, he uh, sidled up to a lanky, young politician striving for the Senate. This was, as described by the Economist, Economist magazine, in the basement of a pub in an ice-cold Chicago, full of student Democrats and weary working folks, where the air was thick with smoke and the floor was sticky with beer. Turkle introduced Barack Obama to the crowd as an intellectual and wanted allowed whether Americans deserved that sort of person in high office. Said Russell Lewis of the Chicago History Museum, He liked people like Nelson Algren. He liked people like Mike Royko because they were larger than life. They were authentic. He found his home in Chicago and he found it in the gritty aspects of Chicago life. The near-do-wells, the outcasts, the bums, all these people were people he was curious about. They intrigued him. Turco himself once remarked, Curiosity never killed this cat. That's what I like as my epitaph. Anyway, as, as mentioned uh, a couple times in this program, I traveled down to Berkeley to see him speak at the Zellerbach Auditorium, and he was just a very entertaining figure. And said Andre Schifrin, who was his longtime editor, publisher, and friend, Studs liked to tell the story of an interview with a woman in a public housing unit in Chicago. At the end of the interview, the woman said, my goodness, I didn't know I felt that way. That was his genius. Studs Terkel, a life well-lived and really an inspiration for all of us. All right, we got about seven minutes left, I think. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk some science with a bit of a transition from the current edition of New Scientist magazine, which noted on the editorial pages. America has a new and charismatic leader. The expressions of hope and optimism that follow the U.S. presidential election are without equal in recent memory. Among those cheering the election of Barack Obama are many U.S. scientists and policymakers who are anxious to repair the damaging rift between science and the federal government that has seen America's climate policy stall, environmental regulations relaxed, 
and draconian and ideologically driven restrictions placed on stem cell research. One way to get things moving would be a speedy appointment of a science advisor upgraded to the president's inner circle. The advisor would lead a revamped Office of Science and Technology Policy. To that we say, hear, hear. Worth noting that I had the pleasure of interviewing Sir David King, who was Tony Blair's uh, and the British government's science advisor when I was on Insight a couple years back. Sir David King was adamant that something needs to be done about global warming and told me off mic that he was once approached by George Bush's science advisor that said, gee, I wish I could say those things, which I think sums up science policy over the last seven years, I think about as well as anything can. We do expect to bring back Chris Mooney to this program, the author of The Republican War on Science. Until we do, you may want to check out our archives at radioparallax.com. Just type in Chris Mooney and it should pull him up. People often make predictions about how things are likely to go in technology in the future, uh, barring a breakthrough. Well, there's been a breakthrough in the area of biofuels that we need to mention. And by the way, a subplot to this is why it's so vitally important that we keep from losing species and, uh, and rainforest all over the world. Apparently on a trek through a rainforest in Patagonia, a plant pathologist named Gary Strobel noticed a red-colored fungus he'd never seen before. He brought a sample back to the lab to test it for its ability to produce antibiotic, but found it produced something entirely unexpected. The fungus was producing an array of hydrocarbons, which are basically the same combustible compounds found in oil, gasoline, and diesel fuel. Strobel told the Discovery News, when he did realize what the fungus was producing, every hair in my arm stood on end. The fungus makes hydrocarbons as a waste product after consuming common cellulose, basically wood. It's a simple one-step process, unlike that for most biofuels. So here's the potential. You take wood chips, wood waste, you feed it to this, uh, this, this, this fungus, which you might be able to grow in factories like baker's yeast, and rather than taking up a lot of farmland, you simply directly make biofuels in one step. Reportedly, the hydrocarbons produced by this fungus can be put right into the fuel tank of, of a diesel, uh, a diesel-engined vehicle and just run straight up, no refining, no further processing needed. It seems too good to be true. And of course, like many of these things, it may turn out to be, but wow. And speaking of surprising news, how about this one? Apparently heart transplant patients are as much as 25% more likely to survive if the sex of the donor is the same as the patient. Three quarters of all heart transplants are given to men, so by necessity, many must receive female organs. Of course, if I was in need of a heart transplant, I'd take what was available. And something I'm not positive, I'm not positive I mentioned this on the program, but I believe I suggested it'd be a good idea if men would consider getting a vaccination against human papillomavirus. The two types of vaccines that are out now are being, uh, being promoted heavily for use in, in young women because of the fact that HPV is believed to be the cause of cervical cancer, meaning that uh, proper immunization can then prevent this deadly disease. Well, men don't possess a cervix, so you know, men don't get cervical cancer, but they can get human papillomavirus as readily as women. 
HPV is the most prevalent sexually transmitted disease. Estimates are that if you have had five partners, you have gotten HPV. But it's so pervasive that uh, even if a minority of people get it, that's still a lot of cases out there, and this would be a good thing to prevent. Anyway, this recent study done by Merck and company is probably going to, uh, to get them to begin marketing the vaccine to boys. And I suppose men too, if, you can, if it can be verified that you've never been exposed to HPV, maybe it's, you know, you may want get, to uh, get a shot to prevent it. And finally, doctors are taking a look at uh, caffeine, which is now becoming just pervasive by the popularity of energy drinks. Recent study at Johns Hopkins University suggests that manufacturers of products that contain caffeine probably should list the content and recommend limits and warnings about use by children. Now, drinks like Red Bull, researchers note, uh, range in caffeine content from 50 to 505 milligrams per container. A six-ounce cup of coffee is 77 to 150 milligrams. Meaning that on the high end, some of these energy drinks pack as much caffeine as 14 cans of cola. Without proper labeling, you may be unaware of this. As a result of the study said, people may be at risk for caffeine intoxication, whose symptoms include insomnia and agitation. And note, in other countries, uh, this is already required. The European Union requires that, uh, that these drinks have high energy, have high caffeine content on the label. And I guess we'll close with uh, a related story. There was a column some weeks back by Michael Wilkes in the Sacramento Bee in his Inside Medicine column, noting that uh, while this drug Provigil, Modafinil, has been used to help people um, concentrate and stay awake, uh, they've become quite popular with doctors who, working on long shifts, uh, need to stay alert. This is sort of taking the place of uh, things like Red Bull, uh, Dr. Wilkes believes that until we have more data about, about this, doctors should not be allowed to take these medicines when on duty. If doctors are tired, they should sleep. Well, this reminds me of a friend of mine who worked with uh, actor Christopher Guest and noted that during one of his meetings with the suits at the studio, he was given the, quote, helpful, unquote, advice that in his latest work, what he probably ought to do is take out the parts that aren't funny and keep in the parts that are. No, actually, we like Dr. Wilkes' column, but uh, you know, he raises a question, some legitimate questions in it about the use of agents to stay awake for doctors whom often lead insane lifestyles and, and, and work insane work shifts. Ask anyone who's done a medical residency. In fact, having done one myself, this is quite a bit of a sore subject. This is not the first time we brought it up. But anyway, uh, you know, we need to bring Dr. Wilkes in this program. He, again, it's a pretty good column. I would close by noting that the ongoing clinical trial uh, of doctors all across the country, in my opinion, seems to indicate that you, know, you can use modafinil safely. This should be studied, and they should also study the effects of caffeine in sleep-deprived individuals. But anyway... We're out of time. Our thanks to Gordon Uncle John Javna. And by the way, to our sometime contributor, Dr. Tony Held, who first alerted us to the Bathroom Reader series. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. 
You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time in our annual Thanksgiving show. I fly like people get high like planes. If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name. If you come around here, I'll make a more day. 